0: Well let's take our Bibles this morning and open to the book of Hebrews chapter number eleven Hebrews chapter 11. Today is very special not only because it's Mother's Day but also at the end of the service this morning we're going to be having a a special baby dedication and I'll say more about that um, at the at that time when we do that but uh, given the occasion today I do want to take a few minutes to look into the Word of God together and consider some things that the Lord has to say about some mothers that we find in Scripture. I'm very thankful for my mother. Without her, I wouldn't be here. Same goes for all of us, right? And some of us uh, are blessed to still have our mothers uh, living with us uh, on this earth, and others, perhaps your mother has, uh, has uh, passed away, and today you, you can't call her up and tell her thank you and tell her how much you love her, but I know that you still appreciate the mother that the Lord gave you. Mothers are so different than fathers. They really are, and we're thankful for that. Um, God knew what He was doing when He created man and woman, that is, male and female, put them together and said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth so that Children born would have both a mother and a father. That is still the best. Regardless of what the world might try to tell us today, men cannot replace women and women cannot replace men. Each were created differently, with different strengths, for different purpose. And while we are equal in the eyes of God, equal in worth, equal in value, we are very different in our function. For a long time in our country, the family has been under attack, concentrated attack. Really, you can go back a couple of generations now and see the breakdown of the American family It used to be that children being raised in a home with both mother and father was normal. More and more it is becoming the exception. But what we are finding, as there are more exceptions, that what God said from the beginning was good and was best is indeed best. Statistically, children who come from a home with both a mother and a father are uh, they they do so much better than their peers in nearly every single aspect. They are they are much more content. They are much more successful. They are much more uh, stable because of that. And listen, that's just if you look at the science and the data of it. Now we know that that works because God says it works because God said it was best. That's why that's why it is best. But I want to encourage you today that. God's plan is indeed the best plan, and for every mother that is here today, I want to encourage you that God has given you a very special and a very sacred responsibility as a mother that only you can fulfill. Your husband cannot do it. Other people in your life cannot do it. You have a responsibility, a sacred trust as a mother. And God wants you to fulfill that responsibility. The wonderful thing is that God has given you everything you need to fulfill those responsibilities through His Word. I pity my poor mother. She had to raise three boys. And I know that there were many times where she just had to throw up her hands in despair and say, what am I going to do with you? I know there were times because I heard it myself. And I know... Mothers, not from experience, but from observation, that your task is not an easy one. But by the grace of God, you can be the kind of mother that God wants you to be. This morning, I want to look in Hebrews chapter 11 at three particular mothers that are mentioned in this chapter. Now, Hebrews 11 is a chapter all about faith. It begins in verse 1, "...now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen." And in this chapter, we find a list of very famous people from the Old Testament and the things that they did and that God did through them because of their faith. Now, there are a number of men mentioned in this list, But God was careful not to exclude the women of faith as well. And there are three that are mentioned in here that I think their stories should be an encouragement to every mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, whatever the case may be today. If you are the mother of any sort of children, then these women, through their example, have some truths to share with you today. And the result is that by... Exercising the faith that they also exercised, you can see God bless you and your family as these ladies saw God bless them and their families. I want to begin looking at verse number 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 11 says, "...through faith also Sarah herself..." received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, we pray that you would help us as we look into your word this morning to take the truth to heart and to see from the example of these godly ladies in the Old Testament what real faith looks like. May we then be encouraged to have faith like they did in you, to see you work and to glorify yourself in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first mother that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 is Sarah. Now, Sarah was the wife of Abraham, and certainly Abraham is the more familiar of the two characters. But when you look at their story, their story was really uh, a joint story. It was not a story only about Abraham, but it was about him and his wife and their whole family. When we first meet Abraham, he is called by God to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldees and go to a place, and God said, I'll tell you when you get there where you're going. Didn't know where he was going, just knew God said to to leave, and so he left. Well, I ask you, who had to go with him? Sarah, his wife. Now, we know Abraham was a man of faith, but I think there's a good case to be made that Sarah was a woman of even stronger faith. Because if God tells you directly, go here and do this, that's one thing. But if your husband says to do it, and you choose to believe anyway, that's a whole different thing. And so she follows her husband out from their homeland, and and we uh, we read their story that very early on in Genesis chapter 17, God promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. There was just one problem. They were really old. When that that promise was was first given, um, Abraham... And Sarah, both were beyond the years that you would expect them to naturally be able to to have children together. And so when the promise was first given, it seemed kind of unlikely. And as time went on, it began to seem more and more unlikely that that promise would ever be fulfilled. And in Genesis chapter 18, we find the promise is repeated to them. In verse number 9, the Lord is speaking to Abraham and he says, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, she was, be- which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. If you were to only read the Old Testament account of what happened, you would probably go away from the story of Abraham and Sarah thinking that Sarah did not have faith. Because after this incident where she laughs, the next thing we read is that lo and behold, God has answered their prayer and has fulfilled His promise, and she is with child. But it's not until then we come to the book of Hebrews that we find out that at some point during that intervening time, Sarah had a change of heart. She went from laughing at the promises of God to believing the promises of God. And so I want to summarize the lesson we're going to see from Sarah with this simple statement. She had faith in God's promises for the future. She had faith in God's promises for the future. When God said to them, you're going to have a son, that was a promise that had not yet been fulfilled. That was something that God said was going to happen, but for many years, over two decades, they they never saw that promise fulfilled. There were times of great doubt. There were times in which There was even manipulation when they thought, well, we need to help God out. And there was that whole incident with Abraham and Hagar. But at some point, she had a change of heart. At some point, she turned from laughing at God's promises to believing God's promises. The way it's stated in Hebrews 11 and verse 11 is that she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged him faithful. That word indicates a decision. You think about a judge in our modern sense. A judge is a person who presides over a courtroom. And their job is to make sure that the evidence is presented correctly, that the defense has an opportunity to make their arguments, that the jury is hearing everything that they ought to hear and they have the proper instructions. It's their job to oversee everything to make sure that a proper conclusion has come to as best as possible. It indicates that there is a process of decision-making based upon the facts. And I think about Sarah here. If she were to base it her decision only on the human factors, what conclusion would she have come to? Well, we know what conclusion she would come to because that's the first conclusion. This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say that a woman in her 70s and a man in his 80s, or a woman in her 80s and a man in his 90s are able to have children. That is ridiculous. It's laughable. That was the decision that she made when she looked at the circumstances. But again, she had that change of heart. And according to Hebrews 11:11, she went from looking at her circumstances to focusing on the one who gave the promise, God Himself. Because it says she judged Him faithful. She realized, you know what? There really is nothing too hard from God. And if God said, we're going to have a child, we're going to have a child. It doesn't matter if circumstances seem like they're completely against that, that it's humanly impossible. None of that matters to God I'm going to believe God. That was her decision. She judged him faithful. You see, the object of her faith was not her circumstances or her ability. It was not anyone else's ability, and it was not in the promises that other people made. The object of her faith was God himself. She wasn't trusting her own strength because she had none. She had to trust in God and God alone for the future. If she was ever going to have a son, it would be because God would do it. She had that promise of God that she could hang on to. The promise, by the way, is only as good as the one giving the promise and their ability to fulfill it. She had to come to the conclusion in her mind that because God is great and because God is all-powerful, He can do whatever He wants. And if He said He's going to do this... He's going to do it. She chose to believe in God. Back in Hebrews 11 in verse number 6, it says that without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That is a, the description of faith right there. It is believing in God that He is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. By the way, though her husband Abraham had several incidents where he he doubted and he did not follow through in faith, there were also a number of incidents when he did display great faith in God. And I know that that faith that Abraham displayed was an encouragement to Sarah to also have faith in God. Notice what happened when she chose to have faith. It says that she received strength to conceive seed in Hebrews 11 and verse number 11. I like that phrasing, she received strength. I wrote in my notes, motherhood equals exhaustion. It's tiring being a mother. And I've, again, I'm just speaking from observation, not experience. But I know when our children were infants, guess who got up in the middle of the night more often? My wife did. Especially when they were small. If they were sick, who did they want? Mama. And you know what? When they get older, it doesn't get any less tiring. Being a mother is exhausting. But I love how the Bible says that through faith, because Sarah had faith, she received strength. Let me encourage you mothers that are here today. Faith in God will give you the strength you need to carry on and to do what God has called you to do. If you rely on your own strength, you will fail. But if you depend on the Lord for the strength to do what you need to do, God will give it. I like what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. The Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. There are going to be times, many times, mothers, where you feel like you just can't go another day, another second even. You're just going to be so exhausted. But can I encourage you that if you will have faith in God, God will strengthen you. And as a result of Sarah's faith, she was strengthened, and she saw the promise of God fulfilled. In Genesis chapter 21, we read that Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. God's promise was fulfilled. You know, through the fulfillment of that promise, salvation came to the whole world, by the way. Because it was through the promised son, Isaac, that ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ would come to this earth. See, sometimes the future looks pretty bleak. Sometimes it seems like there's no hope. But if God has given you His word, if God has given you His promise, then though the future may seem bleak, It's actually secure. You can have hope because of the promises of God. The thing about the future is we've never been there before. We don't know what it holds. It's a big question mark, right? And one of the things we fear more than anything else is the unknown, uncertainty. We hate that. But moms, you can have peace and you can have strength because of the promises of God even for the unknown future. So from Sarah, we learn that faith strengthens us when we have faith in the promise of God. Now let's look back in Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to see the second mother that's listed here. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. We do not know her name, but we see that Moses' mother is listed in Hebrews 11 as a great example of faith. And I believe that we could summarize her story this way, that she had faith in God's protection for the present. She had faith in God's protection for the present. So we come to Exodus chapter 1, and we read of what's going on in Egypt. Joseph has died, and there is... Several generations have risen up now, and there came a new pharaoh who did not recognize Joseph's positive influence in Egypt, and he began to oppress the Israelites, which had now become a rather large nation inside of the nation of Egypt. Made their life hard, made their life miserable, made them slaves. And in fact, they got so afraid that they might rise up against the Egyptians should a foreign army invade that they issued a law that any baby boys born to the Jews were to be killed. They were to be thrown in the river and drowned. Well, the Israelites feared God and so they did not obey that command. And we're introduced to Moses' family as we come to Exodus chapter 2. And we read that when he was born, his parents feared God and they did not do what the Pharaoh had said, but instead they hid him three months. Now, I know it says in verse 23 of Hebrews 11 that it was his parents, plural. That would be mother and father. But I want you to think with me especially about his mother's role in what happened here. First of all, she had to have the courage to hide this baby for three months. Have you ever tried to keep a baby quiet for three minutes? To do that for three months was quite, a, uh, quite amazing. What would happen if she was found out? What would happen if word got around that they had had a child, it was a boy, and they were hiding him? She was risking a lot By doing this. But then there came a point where she knew she could no longer hide her baby boy. There came a point where she knew she had to do something. And so the Bible tells us that she made a a basket of, of sorts, an ark, a floating basket... Um, out, of these, out of these reeds down by the, the river and she, she, uh, she made it so that it was watertight and she could, uh, uh, it, it would float with a baby in it. And the Bible says that she took Moses and she put him in that ark and that basket and she put him in the river. You think about the courage that it took to do that. Because in order for her to do that, she had to be willing to trust God Fully and completely for Moses' protection. Why? Because she was no longer going to be there. She was letting him go. She was surrendering him to the protection of God. Well, she put him in the river and a short time later, Pharaoh's daughter came to wash herself and she heard the baby and she saw him. She found him there. Realized that this was one of the Jews' babies, one of the Israelites. Moses' sister was watching. She had the wisdom to, to approach Pharaoh's daughter and offer to go find one of the Hebrews to be a, a nurse for this child. Pharaoh's daughter agreed and she got... So where did she go? Obviously and naturally she went back home and got her own mother. And because Moses' mother was willing to surrender him fully and completely to the control of God. She was blessed to be able to raise Moses for those early formative years of his life. She took him and she now had royal approval to raise this child. But then there came a day where she had to give him over again. You know, as hard as it must have been for her to let go the first time, how much harder must it have been when he was four or five years old, or however old he was, when she took him and gave him to Pharaoh's daughter. How in the world could a mother be willing to do that? Hebrews 11 tells us, by faith. By faith. But see, she wasn't going to be there to make sure that six-year-old Moses had a good breakfast that morning. She wasn't going to be there to make sure that seven-year-old Moses had good shoes to wear, that eight-year-old Moses was learning all of the things he was supposed to in school. She wasn't going to be there to make sure that nine-year-old Moses was not getting in fights on the playground. She wasn't going to be there anymore. She was not going to be the one who was hands-on protecting him. She had to trust God. Her faith in God To protect Moses in the present is what enabled her to let go. What would have happened if she had not been willing to let go? You see, being raised in Pharaoh's palace became a very important part of Moses' story. It was a part of God's plan. God in His sovereignty had it all mapped out. But if Moses' mother had objected and said, no, I am not willing to do that, how different might the story have been? I know that it is not easy to let go of your children. I say that as a father, and I will add to that, I only understand it from that perspective, and I, I do believe, that it is harder for mothers to let go of their children. I firmly believe that. It's not easy. And let me say that the only way you can do it properly is by faith in God. Our daughter Lydia, many of you know, was born with congenital heart defects. And she had to have her first open heart surgery when she was just 10 days old. And that morning that they were taking her back for surgery, we had uh, gathered with a group of family and friends in a, in a uh, private room near the waiting room of the surgery area. And we were just sitting there holding Lydia and waiting for the surgeons to come, the nurses and everything, and take her. And just before they took her away, I remember us having a time of prayer together. And in that prayer, I said, Lord, we are handing Lydia over to these doctors and nurses. But really, we're giving her into your hands this morning. They took her away and they did a very extensive surgery, hours long. After several hours, they came down to... uh, give us a report, and the doctor came in and told us that, you know, things had gone pretty good, but there had been some challenges, there had been some difficulties, the team was working to get her stable then so that we could uh, get back and see her, and we had another time of prayer, we just praised the Lord for His intervention, thanking Him for sparing her life and, and uh, protecting her. Little did we know that at that exact moment that we were praying that she was in the recovering room on the verge of bleeding to death. The nurses told us when we got there later that she was bleeding faster than they could put blood in her. I cannot imagine having been a parent in that situation not knowing God not knowing that I can trust God with my child, even though I can't be there, even though I I, have no, I don't have the medical knowledge to do this, I can trust God because I can tell you, while there were times of, of, that were difficult and we had times of, of grief and sadness and sorrow that overwhelmingly God had given us peace and assurance through that time, that peace that passes all understanding, that, hey, God is going to protect her. It's going to be okay. And I think about Moses' mom. She had to have faith that God would protect her child. And because of her faith, in part, God God did wonderful things through her son, Moses. There's faith in the promises of God for the future. There's faith in the protection of of God for the present. But then back in Hebrews 11, I want to show you one more, one more mother that's listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Verse number 31 says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believe not, when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab. Her story is recorded in Joshua chapter 2. She's designated here as the harlot, Rahab, because before she got saved, that was her profession. And in Joshua chapter 2, two spies had come from the Israelites into the town of Jericho, And they were needing to find a place to hide. And so they ended up hiding in the home of Rahab. And as you read in that story, what you find out is that Rahab already knew who the Lord was. And already, at least to some measure, believed what God said. Because she tells them, you know, since y'all came across the Red Sea 40 years ago, we've all been afraid of you. And as the story goes on, the people are looking for these two spies and they, they hide in Rahab's house. She shelters them. And the men leave the city looking for these two spies. And, and later she lowers them over the wall and they climb down the city wall by that, that scarlet cord, that red cord, that red rope uh, made of linen that was, uh, that was used as, uh, for their escape. And they told her, we will save you and your family if you leave this hanging out of your window when we come back. And fight against the city. And so you know what? She did that. And you know the story. They The Israelites came and for six days they all walked around the city one time and on the seventh day they walked around seven times and then they blew the trumpets and shouted and the walls came tumbling down. Right. What's curious though is that there was one section of the wall that must not have fallen because Rahab's house was on the wall. And in fact there's an area in that land today that we're pretty sure is the site where Jericho was. And there is all the evidence of an ancient city whose walls felled outward, forming a perfect ramp for an invading army to come in, except for one little piece on the backside of the city near the mountains. There's a section that's still standing. But you read her story in, in Joshua chapter 2, and that's, that's pretty much the it. All we know is that that happened and she was saved. Then what? Then we come to the book of Ruth. And book of Ruth is a wonderful story about God's redemption. read about Ruth the Moabitess and how she uh, came to be aligned with the people of God and what God did for her. But at the very end of the book of Ruth, we have this little genealogy. And it tells us there that Rahab ended up marrying a man named Salmon. And she married in to the Jewish nation and ended up being the great-great-grandmother of King David. We come to the New Testament and we find that Rahab is even listed in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did that happen? How did she go from being... A woman of ill repute to being in the lineage of kings and of the Messiah. Hebrews 11 says, it was by faith. By faith she perished not. By faith she perished not. She had faith that, that, that God would keep His promise. She left that yet red rope hanging out the window. And so God spared her. And that set off a chain of events that resulted in blessing after blessing in her life. I want to sum up her story this way. She had faith that God's plan was greater than her past. She had faith that God's plan was greater than her past. When we read about Rahab in Hebrews 11, the Holy Spirit was specific to include the description, the harlot. Now at some point, she left all that behind. Why did the Holy Spirit still include it? And I wonder to myself, what what might Rahab would have thought? What, What might she have thought about that? If sometime 10, 20 years later after she's gotten all that behind her and she's, she is now um, following Jehovah and aligned with the people of God and God is blessing her and somebody says, Oh, you're Rahab the harlot. Would she have gotten offended? Would she have gotten upset? And Would she have gotten angry with them and said, No, that's not who I am anymore? I don't think so. I think she probably was okay with people still using that simply to remind herself and others what God had saved her from. That yes, that was my past, but God's grace is greater. And God's plan for my future is greater than my past. Some people would say, no, God can't use a woman like that. God can't use someone with that kind of sin in their life. God God, God can't do anything with them. I'm going to tell you, God's grace is greater than our sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I will add this, that there were things in Rahab's past, I'm sure, that haunted her. The rest of her life. I'm sure there were times where she had to deal with the the regret all over again. I'm sure there were things that came to her mind that she wished she could erase. I in no way want to downplay the atrocity that the sin she was involved in would have caused. But I do want to say that in spite of all of that, God had a plan for her. And God used her in a great way. She left the past behind where we all must leave it. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? Forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, there are all kinds of things in our past. Some of them are great and we want to remember them. Some of them are not great and we wish we could forget them. But here's the thing. All of it is in the past. And there is a danger if we dwell in the past, we will never live for God in the the present, and that means we will never live for Him in the future. We can appreciate the past, and we should. We can learn from the past, and we must. But we can't live in the past. God is a present God. He is our God Now, the psalmist said he is a very present help in trouble. He's here. He was there and he will be there, but he is right here with us in the present. And the present is the only time that we have to serve God. We can't waste our lives bemoaning the fact that it's no longer like it used to be. We can't spend our lives worrying about what might happen. Right now is all the opportunity that we have to live for God. We have to have faith that regardless of what is in our past, God has a plan, and we need to have faith in God's plan. Rahab's faith ultimately resulted in a and a whole family that was blessed, and a family whose lineage we can trace through Scriptures that she got to be a part of. You know, mothers, I know we have mothers at all different stages here today, some with infants, some with grown children, now grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and everywhere in between. And I want to say that it's good to take time to reflect on what God has done in your life. Children, God has blessed you with the grandchildren. It's good to remember those things. Don't forget those things. Sometimes you just need to sit down and flip through the picture books and just cry some tears of joy. It's okay. Enjoy the past. Remember the blessings of the past. Don't forget those but live for God right now because God has a plan for you and for your children. And in order to move forward in that plan, you need to have faith in God. You know, some people accuse the Scripture of being too patriarchal, you know, centered on just the men. Well, there's a lot of stories in the Bible about men, I'll grant that. But if you think that the Bible is strictly patriarchal, uh, you've missed some of the best stories in Scripture. Because while, yeah, a lot of the stories are about men, a lot of the stories are about the dumb things men did. (laughs) But you look at the stories of the women, and not exclusively, I mean, there's the Jezebels of the Bible, right? But more so, there are the stories of the Esthers, and the Ruths, and the Sarahs, and the Rahabs, and the Marys, and and these wonderful women, Eunice, the mother of Timothy. And, and, And these wonderful women, and the great things that they did by faith. Let me tell you something, God has a very high view of women, of motherhood, of femininity. God help us if we have a low view. So let me just conclude by recapping what we've seen. The story of Sarah teaches us that we need to have faith in the promises of God for the future. The story of Moses' mom teaches us that we need to have faith in the protection of God for the present. The story of Rahab teaches us that we need to have faith in the plan of God to get over the past. So it boils down to just that simple statement. Have faith in God. Mothers, if you want to be the kind of mother that God wants you to be, the kind that will bless your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, then be a mother who has faith in God. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Maybe someone here today that does not know for sure that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Savior. Can I say to you that while this message was not strictly an evangelistic message, anytime we talk about faith in God, We have to remember that that begins in our lives with saving faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you're here today and you've never chosen to place your faith in Jesus, and I want to say to you that is absolutely, without a doubt, the most important decision that you could make today. Have you seen yourself as a sinner? Rahab did. She knew it. Have you seen that you need a Savior? That you can't do it yourself. Sarah knew there were things that she couldn't do, like have a child when she was almost 90. Have you seen yourself in need of a Savior? Have you understood that only God can save you, the Lord Jesus Christ? And have you placed your faith in Him? If not, I want to invite you to do that this morning. I want to invite you to go to God in prayer and admit to God that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior and call upon the name of the Lord. To every mother that's here today, I hope that this message has been an encouragement and a reminder to you about the importance of faith to be the kind of mother that God wants you to be. You can't do it on your own. Only with the grace of God can you do it. Have faith in God for both past, present, and future. And God will do great things through you. And to everyone else here today, not only do we too need to have faith, but we need to encourage the mothers that God has put in our lives. Our own mothers. Men, if you're married, your wives, you have children, you need to encourage them. But every mother that you encounter... It's been given a sacred trust. And they need all the encouragement they can get. And so in just a moment, Dr. Allman is going to begin to play a hymn of invitation. And I want to invite you to take some time and go to the Lord in prayer. Mothers, pray for yourself. It's okay to do that. You need to. Pray for your children as well, but pray for yourself. God will give you the faith, and that you will trust Him for both past, present, and future. You may be seated. I'm going to ask those uh, families that are taking part in the baby dedication this morning to go ahead and make your way up here to the platform. Uh, we have we have three families today, three families that are taking part in this baby dedication and. It's a blessing to see the, how the Lord is blessing the families in our, in our church, and it's a blessing to me just to be the part, have a small part as a pastor here. And my uh, mother came to visit last weekend, and she was commenting on the number of children that we have around here. I think it went something like this, how many kids do y'all have? <laughs> something like that. But uh, it's a wonderful blessing. And um, I want to take just a second here to explain what, what we are doing this morning. Uh, in a lot of religions, they have ceremonies for children, for infants in particular. Um, some of them are called christenings or something like that. Um, and in their teaching, they say that that is what guarantees the salvation of the child. Of course, they believe in a works-based salvation, and so those ceremonial-type things they believe are important. We do not believe that because the Bible says salvation is by grace through faith. And so that no ceremony, no ritual, no tradition is ever going to save anyone. But there is something very symbolic about what we are doing today that actually goes all the way back to the Old Testament times, way before the Catholic Church started squirting water at kids' heads, all right? Back in the Old Testament law, God laid out instructions for children when they were born how they were to be dedicated to the Lord. And that was a very symbolic thing for every generation to recognize that when a child is given to a mother and a father, that that child is a gift from God and truly belongs to God. And in Luke chapter 2, we read that in uh that that Mary and Joseph did that exact thing for the Lord Jesus Christ himself, it says that when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and so it was a a ceremony or a tradition, if you will that was. Intended to signify that this child is being dedicated or surrendered to God for God's service. You know, it's easy as parents to say these are my children. And in certain contexts, that is not a bad thing. All right? They are my children, not the government's. But truth, truly speaking, my children were given to me by God. And every child is given by God to those parents. And these parents that are here behind me today, they, they understand this. And they could tell you stories how God's worked in their life and answered prayer. And they know that these children are indeed a gift from God. And so they want today to stand before this congregation and publicly acknowledge that and dedicate these children back to the one who gave them. Now at the same time, this is also a dedication of the parents. Because what these parents are saying are that they are committing themselves to bringing these children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. To train these children in the way that they should go. To follow the principles of Scripture as they rear these children To give them a godly home where prayer and scripture and the love of God are cornerstones. And so I want to encourage all these parents that are behind me and any that are sitting out here today that we have a responsibility to keep up the commitment, the dedication. That dedicating a child is more than just one part of a service. It is a lifetime commitment. And so I want us to bow together and have a word of prayer. Dedicating these children to the Lord and these parents to rearing them in the truth of God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, life is such a precious gift. And increasingly we live in a culture of death. We see that the life of children is taken for granted or even despised. But today we want to praise you and acknowledge that you are the giver of life. Your word tells us children are an heritage of the Lord. And Lord, we know that you gave each of these children to these parents in your sovereignty and in your grace Because you were counting on these parents to raise these children right. So Lord, I pray today that you would take Hannah and Daniel and Luke and Samantha. And Lord, that you would use these young people to glorify yourself in a great way. God, we give them to you to use as vessels unto honor. Lord, send them wherever you want them to go. Do with them whatever you want to do. Whatever, Lord, you know is best for their good and for your glory. I pray for the Jones and the McIntyres and the Luciuses. Lord, you would give them great grace and wisdom. Increasingly, we see how this world is desperately trying to corrupt Christian children with the vileness of this world. Give them wisdom to protect their children, to shelter them from those things. And to give them a positive, loving, Christ-centered home to grow up in. I pray that you would protect the marriages of each of these families as well. That they would remain committed. That they would remain pure. And Lord, that you would strengthen them to maintain their commitment to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before y'all leave, I do have something that I would like to give each of you from the church. Um, We would like to present each family with uh, Bibles for their child. Um, And uh, they may already have one, but we want to make sure that they have a copy of their own, so as soon as they are old enough to to read, they can can use it themselves. And so we have one here for Luke, Lucius, and one for Samantha. And we have one for Hannah. And we have one for Daniel over here. Again, I just want to say we appreciate all y'all. Thank you so much. From the church, I want to say thank you for entrusting your family. With us. It really means a lot. God bless you. Let's give him a hand.